Well, Matthew 26, verse 69 to 75. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and the servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. And he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out a gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were were there, "Uh, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth, but he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. He had that northern Galilean accent. And he began to curse and to swear. And he was, uh, remember, a sailor, so he's pretty good at that. (laughs) And I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So he went out and he wept bitterly. In the gospel of Mark chapter 14, 68, he he says, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. I'm not even aware of who Jesus is. And you're talking, saying I'm associated with some Jesus of Nazareth. I don't even, none of that, that name doesn't even ring a bell. In Luke twenty-two fifty-eight, 58, he, he made it clear, man, I am not this guy that you're thinking of. Now, I just want to make a really, really important note. In God's mind, we're all his children. And God never sees us as good children, bad children. I probably shouldn't have called them before eternity. I probably shouldn't have elected them. Look what a mess they're making of things. Bad Christian. Good Christian. There's no such thing in God's mind. Just like your children. You love them all, even if they're going through a horrible season. Even if they've walked away from the Lord and and they're blaspheming. You love them, right? You don't say bad child. They're your precious child, no matter what. God does not have good children and bad children. However, God does have weak Christians and strong Christians. And when we're walking in strength, we're not grieving our spirit. We're not grieving God's spirit. And we're fruitful. And that's a joyful place to live. When we are walking as weak Christians, we're not as fruitful. And we're stumbling and struggling and sinning and sinning hurts. It hurts often other people a whole lot more than it hurts yourself. And sometimes we get a good dose of how damaging our sinful ways can be. And it grieves the Lord. And we're not fruitful. And time, it's just going by so quickly, isn't it? And all of a sudden, you're walking as a weak Christian for a week and a month and a year. And all of a sudden, a decade's gone by. So many ways you could have been fruitful and were not. And so we grieve. God grieves. His spirit grieves. But never does he say, you're a bad child, a bad Christian. You're always his precious child. Well, Peter is weak. Now, he thought he was very strong. That's sort of the, the dichotomy of the situation. So often when we feel like, man, I am such a good Christian, we're really just self-righteous. And sometimes when we think, man, I, that was so humble of me. Well, the fact that you say that sort of means you're not as humble as you should be. Often we can't grade ourselves very good. And I, I have learned that we, we really do poorly grade ourselves. Often when we're struggling the most, we're the most fruitful. And sometimes when things are going so smooth, we're not really in the spirit. It's just things are sort of going your way for whatever reason. And so Peter had graded himself as head and shoulders above all the other disciples in commitment and a dedication and in bravery You guys might remember back in verse 33 to 35 of Matthew 26. Peter said to him, Jesus, that night, 
If all be made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, this night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said, Never, never, never. Even if I have to die with you, I'll not deny you. And so said all the disciples. They all had a confidence that they were going to be loyal and committed and brave to the end, even if it took their life to do so. Of course, none of them did it, did they? Especially Peter. In Luke 22, verse 31 to 34, Jesus, we, we see some added to this conversation. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you and that he may sift you as wheat. Wow. Satan's like, I can take the strongest apostle of Jesus and just like sifting out wheat. The easy peasy. But in verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Later, we're going to see in 1 Peter, that word strengthened is translated establish. Establish your brethren. We're going to find out how. And in verse 33 in Luke 22, but he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you even know me. And of course, Peter's trying to compute that. Why was Peter weak? Number one, he had confidence in his flesh. And it caused him to be overconfident about his spiritual abilities. We know this verse well in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, don't we? Therefore, let him who thinks he stand, what? Take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except that's common to all men. This this is common for all of us. The moment we think, I have some righteousness of my own. This walking in the spirit and reading the Bible has created in me a strength of my own that I have. I am a strong Christian. I am a committed Christian. I am a righteous man because I'm Following the Lord. (laughs) Well, I I hate to tell you, but of our flesh, it's not happening. It's in the inner man, by the power of the Spirit only. It's God's Spirit making our spirit strong. It's the Lord's righteousness making us be able to declare that we are righteous. But our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. We're we're not seeing the Lord holy as he is. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, Paul says, Not that I am sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Of course, we know that passage in Romans 7 where Paul says, I know that is in me, that is in my flesh. Nothing good dwells. Sort of the opposite of Peter here, huh? The Apostle Paul understood something that Peter didn't get. For the willingness is present in me. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I would to do I do not. The evil that I will not to do I practice. Now I do what I will not to do. It's no longer I, but sin that dwells in me. Peter was weak because he thought in himself he was strong. And it made him confident in his flesh. Secondly, we know back in Matthew 26, verse 40 to 44, Jesus had told the apostles, come along with me, Peter, James, and John, and pray with me. And remember the Lord there was praying so earnestly, Father, not my will, your will be done. It got intense. Blood began to pour out of his sweat glands. But he kept returning to the apostles more than one time. And they were sleeping. And he woke them up. 
said, this isn't a time to be sleeping. This is a time of praying. Pray even for yourself that you fall not into temptation. This is an hour when Satan has been waiting for his entire life. Satan, you see, really believed he was going to get one over on God. (laughs) And he saw the door opening and Satan was coming in with every bit of power he could. And the Lord said, you really need to be a person of prayer right now more than ever in your life. Really, more than any time in human history. Anybody around me believing in me needs to be a person of prayer. Well, Jesus came back on the last time, right before Judas showed up, and he said, your spirit is willing, but what? Your flesh is weak. They were sleeping when they should have been praying. Boy, we know how important that is, don't we? Isaiah 40 This is an old word of God that is so powerful. In verse 29 and 31, he gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, wait as a euphemism for prayer, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So in those times when we feel that we are weak, when we feel that we have no strength, have you been to that place yet? I've been to that place. I don't know if it was physical or spiritual or depression, but literally taking one step out of bed was more strength than I had getting into the shower, turning the shower on, going, God, I couldn't do that without you. Taking my clothes off, get into the shower. Lord, I don't have strength to take my clothes off, but I just did somehow. And there I'm taking a shower going, I don't have strength to take a shower. But yet I am. And then to get out of the shower, I don't have strength to dry myself off. But yet I do. And knowing that no matter how tiny of a step it is, I'm without strength. Boy, I'm I'm afraid that a lot of people during this COVID season, without a reason to get up, a lot of reasons to stay up till ungodly hours, they've gotten themselves into a pickle and they're spiritually weak. You know what? It's okay. You're without strength. Prayer can bring you from the lowest of the lowest places till you're flying like an eagle. In Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I think that's why I like prayer. You can pray without saying a word, just in the meditation of your heart. You You can pray laying on your bed, I know people that have been bedridden or even in comas who were praying. God listens to us, and whether you were shouting it at church in a three-piece suit with, you know, candles burning, (laughs) or whether you're laying in bed and you're stinky and you can't move a muscle and you can't even open your mouth, but the meditation of your heart. God hears both of those equally, right? God hears us when we pray. Pray in the spirit, with your mouth, without your mouth, with groanings, if that's it. I can't even, I don't have the energy to put sentences into a language. It's okay. You don't need to. Just groan. Peter is weak because he thought he had strength in himself. We don't, right? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? And he didn't pray. And then we see the next thing in verse 50 to 53 of Matthew 26. And this is where Judas shows up with a whole crowd of people. And, and, and Judas tries to blend in with the crowd, but he kisses Jesus on the cheek. And he steps back into the crowd. Peter wakes up. His eyes are blurry. He's been in a deep sleep while Jesus was praying. 
And he sees this aggressive crowd. He, he stumbles to his feet. He whips out his sword. And the guy in front talking, he just swings at him. Of course, being a fisherman, being a swordsman wasn't his top skill. And we know what happens, don't we? As a matter of fact, in John 18, 10, it tells us the guy's name. His name was Marcus, the high priest's servant, the guy who was dispatched to go arrest Jesus. And Peter, aiming for his neck, cuts off his ear. What a crazy scene. This guy's screaming and yelling and blood spurting and, and his arm is drenched and his clothes are drenched and he's screaming. Everybody else is screaming and everybody's whipping out their swords and their spears and, and it, it, the other apostles had some swords too. And it's just this whole thing going on. And Jesus stops it all. And he says, guys... In Matthew 26, 53, he said, you know, I could right now get a legion of demons to stop this if I wanted to. You know, one demon, or one, excuse me, a legion of angels. <laughs> a legion of angels. Oh, horrible. A secret meeting after church to talk about this new pastor. <laughs> we will edit that out. Jesus said, guys, you know, I could call a legion of angels down. One angel killed 185,000 people in one battle. What would 72,000 angels do? But he said, I'm not calling them. You guys too, put your swords away. The last miracle of Jesus was fixing one of his apostles' mistakes putting the ear, picking the ear up, and putting it back on Marcus's head. Probably a little crooked, so he'd always remember when he's fixing his hair. <laughs> it did happen. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but in mighty in God, pulling down strongholds. And of course, Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, where we don't fight against flesh and blood, do we? But against principalities and powers. Well, Peter also was weak because he followed Jesus at a distance. We see that in Matthew 26, 58. He wasn't near to Jesus, but he was in the crowd of people to not be identified separately to be with Jesus. Peer pressure. Hebrews 2.1, therefore we must give more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest we drift away. Drift away, blending back into the world. Boy, we should not be deceived how powerful the world can suck us back in and we begin to follow Jesus at a distance rather than near at his feet. Well, then the next thing we see why Peter was weak because he was getting warm at the enemy's fire. In Matthew 26, 58, he sat with the servants to see the end. In Luke 22, it tells us plainly, they had kindled a fire and then Peter sat with them around the fire. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? Peter fell the Lord, the rooster crowed. Well, now let's look at Judas in Matthew 27, verses 1 through 10. When the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away to deliver him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is it to us? You see to it yourself. And he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. 
And they consulted together and bought with them a potter's field to bury strangers in it. Therefore, that field was called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was, pri- who was priced, whom they had of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed. Prophesied 750 years earlier that Jesus would be betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver, and then that money would be used to buy a field for other unknown people who didn't or didn't have money to, to bury themselves, to be buried at. Interesting. Both of them apostles. Both of them followed Jesus from John the Baptist forward. Both of them saw the dead raised, the lepers cleansed, the blind eye open, the multitudes fed, demons cast out, walking on water. The list goes on. What Peter and Judas saw. Front row seat, really. They didn't miss any of it. What do we see when we look at these guys together? First of all, we notice that both Judas and Peter were told personally by Jesus that they were going to sin and what their sin was going to be before they did it. I don't know about you, but that comforts me a lot. Because I think often people can think we're shocking the Lord. I stumbled and fell and go, Lord, you didn't see that one. I can't believe I was so weak. I can't believe I got so angry. I can't believe I got so greedy. I can't believe I got so lustful. I can't believe I did. I know when you saved me, you never thought I would be stumbling like that, didn't you? And, and, and I, I'm afraid that it, you know, I didn't read all the fine print. I'm pretty sure that if I stumble like that, it's over with me and you, isn't it? The heaven thing went from a sure deal to a less possible deal. But I hopefully will live long enough to make it up so I can get back in good graces to make it to heaven after all. Do you understand? That's the way most Christians think. And guys, it's from the pit of hell. John 3.16 said, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Not the possibility on probation, a good chance will be able to prove themselves worthy over a period of time. And, and you know, but you're in the running now to make, go have eternal life. And then we stumble and fall and we're like, am I out of the running? Pretty much, pretty much. Unless you do some pretty extraordinary things in the next 10 years, heaven is probably not going to be in your future. And boy, now we're racing, now we're running, now we're trying to do super heroic Christian deeds to get us back in God's good graces. Guys, we're saved by grace. We're saved by having faith in his grace. It's not of ourself. It's a gift of God. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present. What else? Nor things to come will separate us from the love of God. But here's some things to come. (gasps) God, I know you didn't see that happening, but when Peter heard the rooster crowed, he remembered Jesus actually knows about my failures before I do. Now, he told me about this sin I was going to commit, and I told him, you know what, there's a hundred other sins I'd commit before that one. But that one, Lord, I would never commit. But yet the Lord knew his weakness better than he did, didn't he? And, And let's just say it plainly. God sees the future as clearly as he sees the past and the present. You know, we, we try to remember the past. The older you get, the more challenging that is. We, we're, we think we're aware of the present, but we're not catching as much as we used to, or at least what we think. 
And then the future, well, I'm pretty sure this is going to happen in that. You know, we, we try to guess. And when we get it right, boy, we let everybody know. But we really have no idea. But God sees the beginning of all things, the end of all things, which there is none. There is a, a past that goes into infinity. There's a future that goes into infinity. And God looks at everything equally at one moment in time. And let's just think about it for a moment. When Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, he went back to the first sin of Adam and Eve. We know about that one. The last sin ever committed, it'll probably be by me, knowing me and how weak I am. <laughs> and he took all the sins and put them upon himself in one moment in time. But all our sins were future. Do, do we know that? that? That Christ died for the day you were born till the day you died. He took all your sins. He knew them all before, 2,000 years before you were born on this planet. He knew them all in advance. And he paid for all of them. Not part of them. Not 90%, you know, 10%. Come on, come on. I'll do 90%, but let's have a little bit of your own obedience for a change. Let's have a little bit of your own goodness for a change. You know, I want you to get to heaven, but I want you to bring something to the table. That's not what God says, is it? Paul makes it clear this powerful apostle wrote half of the New Testament, who, a man who could say, follow me as I follow Christ. I would never say that to anybody, by the way. I would tell you to follow my wife. If she follows Christ, she's pretty awesome. <laughs> my youngest son, who's now with the Lord, he said one time at the table, he goes, you know, we learned how to be a Christian by you, Dad. And we know how to be a Christian by Mom. <laughs> we didn't really laugh. We were just like, yeah, that's, that's right. That's a good point. Um, but he told both of these guys ahead of time. In Luke 22, 21 and 22, he says, Behold, the hand of the betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom it's betrayed. In the Gospel of John, he takes the bread, dips it in the horseradish, he says, the one I give this to is the one that betrays me. All of them said, it's me. It's me. I know it's me. You, you'd think after hanging out with Jesus for three years, you'd go, we're holy, man. We've been hanging out with this holy guy, and man, are we holy. None of us, not one of us 12, can't be. It's interesting that even though they had been so close to Jesus, getting washed in the word by Jesus' teachings, Living with Jesus, sleeping with Jesus, waking up in the mornings with Jesus, going to bed at night with Jesus. That they knew they were probably the one to betray him. They, they knew that their flesh was that weak. Interesting, isn't it? But yet he hands it to Judas. And Judas takes it and he leaves. And in the Gospel of John, you know what it tells us? They all thought Judas went out to feed the poor. That's how self-righteous Judas looked. Judas looked like the guy. You know, he was so organized and, you know, he was a treasurer. He kept all the money. We find out later he was stealing it. But nobody thought that at the time. They thought if one of us isn't the betrayer, it's Judas. But yet he was. In Luke 22, 31 to 34, again, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your face should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. They were both told in advance. Secondly, interesting enough, as you compare the Gospels, especially in Luke 22, we see that when Judas was betraying the Lord, he was looking directly into the eyes of Jesus. You see, Judas came up with the crowd of people. I think he was just trying to blend in, walked out, kissed Jesus, walked back into the crowd. But as Judas came up and kissed, kissed Jesus to signal it was him, I think Jesus just sort of grabbed his elbow and held him. 
trying to get away there a minute. Hold on. He's looking right into Judas's eyes. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Wow. What a moment. What was Jesus looking at? Was, Jesus, was Judas looking into the eyes of Jesus and saying, man, he hates my guts right now. Man, he's disappointed in me. Man, he can't wait to send me to hell. I can just see it in his eyes, this burning judgment against one that he chose to be his 12 and now is betraying him. You think that's what Judas saw? I don't think so. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? I don't think it was angry. I think it was quiet. I think it was gentle. Jesus had just emptied himself out. He didn't have much left. What's the Bible say? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus was bringing him to a place that all he had to say is, yes. If we confess, agree with the Lord that we've sinned, he'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Judas said nothing. Interesting, the two thieves on the cross, one opened his mouth. Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The other thief never opened his mouth. Thus no eternal life. Judas could have repented, but he didn't. In Peter, we see there why Peter's warming himself at the fire. It tells us in Luke twenty-two sixty-one 61, that as Peter was speaking, I don't know the guy, the rooster started crowing, it says in Luke twenty-two sixty, 60, and then in verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. So evidently the door to the high priest's home, maybe it's a gate, they're out in the courtyard area and they're in there and they're spitting on Jesus and pounding Jesus and slapping Jesus and yelling at Jesus and, and people are coming in and out. But at one moment, here's Jesus bent upon him beaten and bruised and they, something happens where they can all hear the rooster crow something that you'd probably ignore mostly usually a common so common thing that you don't even notice it anymore but yet there was a moment of stillness and everybody heard it and the door slung open somehow and Peter Jesus in the midst of being beaten looked and Peter turned his head and looked and their eyes met in the moment of saying, I don't know the uh, And he's looking at Jesus. Again, what did he say? Jesus disappointed. Jesus hurt. Jesus condemning him? No. I think Peter saw Jesus looking at him with such compassion, saying, Peter, you look so cute with that little sword on. <laughs> you so wanted to be my little soldier tonight, didn't you? You so wanted to be the guy that would be the strongest. Oh, Peter, your spirit is so willing. I, I don't know anybody as willing as you are, Peter. But yet, you haven't learned it yet. But I know it. Your flesh is weak. And then we see that both of them went out and wept bitterly. When Judas had realized what he had done, it tells us there in Matthew 27, 3 and 5, that he was remorseful. He, he brought forth fruits of repentance. He actually worked back into this gated community somehow, finding these same group of guys that, that had given him the money, and he said, I don't want this money, and I did wrong, and you guys should understand I did wrong, and, and you're doing wrong. And, and he tried to correct it, and he threw the money down, and, and he left, and he was just so remorseful. I can't undo it. 
but he went and he hanged himself. He committed suicide. We also read there in Matthew 26, 75, that Peter went out and wept bitterly. They both had this great remorseful heart of weeping and sorrow. But yet, what do we know? The Bible tells us, not very often does the Bible tell us, but it tells us plainly, Judas is in hell. The Bible tells us that. And the Bible also makes it clear that Peter became a dynamic minister of the Lord. What's the difference? Well, I ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 11 as we wrap it up here. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 11, he says, Likewise, you young people, submit yourself to your elders. And I'd just like to say a big amen to that. <laughs> the older I get, the more I like that verse. Yes, all of you, be submissive one to another. Be clothed in humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In 1 Peter 5, 6 now. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may be able to exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Now, a word of warning. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter might say, I can tell you by personal experience. When he decides to try to sift you like wheat, he is successful. But resist him, steadfast in the, what? Faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. What sufferings? The sufferings of failing the Lord. The, 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 the struggle in this human flesh of being in a sinful flesh all the time. The things I don't want to do. My spirit, God in me, his spirit leading my spirit and my spirit desiring to do God's will. But yet there's that time my flesh is so much louder, so much more in control. And I thought my spirit was in control because yesterday was such a great day. And now today, it's like I've never known the Lord at all. It, it was like yesterday, I had no strength at all. I, I mean, I had total strength today. I had no strength at all. What's going on with my flesh? Oh, the thing I do want to do, I don't do. A wretched man that I am. That's suffering. Do you think, they're do you think Christians are experiencing that everywhere in the world? <laughs> But what does he say in verse 10 of 1 Peter 5.10? But may the God of what? All grace. That's our God. Our God is the God of all grace. His whole throne room is built around a glassy sea. We find out in Hebrews, it's a glassy sea of grace. And his throne is called grace. He dwells on a throne of grace before a glassy sea of grace. <laughs> and he's called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while, perfect and established. That's the word in Matthew where Jesus says, after you return, strengthen your brethren. Establish them. Establish them in what? In understanding grace. Strengthen and settle you. Then be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What do we do? Why did Judas hang himself? Because he didn't have the faith in God's grace. He could not say, I have faith that even in this, God can forgive me. You know, Peter denied the Lord three times with using God's name in vain in one of those times. Judas just betrayed him once. Yeah, he got some money, but he gave it back. If you really want to weigh out who sinned more, I think we would all agree Peter, right? Peter was in the inner circle of the three. What's the difference? Peter had faith that even if I denied the Lord three times, even if I blasphemed, cursed, and I never knew him, he's the God of all grace. He'll even forgive that. You know, that reminds me of King David. 
King David, man, he trusted in the grace of God. He was a unique guy, just a man after God's own heart, who just saw that God loved him no matter what. But then he hit a very dark time in his life. I hope we've been through the deepest valley we're ever going to be in. I really do. But we don't know, do we? And David was in a valley that I don't think he ever saw himself being in. And that was committing adultery with Bathsheba. Now, it was a very bad timing because all his men were out fighting a battle that he chose, not God. And while all the men are gone, he's up on his top tier of his kingdom, checking out all the women bathing, I guess sort of the porn of his day or something, I don't know. And he finds one woman that just, she just can't wait till it's bath time with her every day. And we know the story. But then to cover it up, he murders her husband. And then a whole bunch of his men also die in that battle to kill her husband. What do we find there in the Psalms? That David could not come to God's throne with that. Yes, God can forgive me for lying and stealing and, and he can go through all the lists, but can God forgive me for such dishonorable activity? It's not that I just committed adultery, but I committed adultery while her husband was gone because I sent him out to fight a battle that I told him to fight in. And while he's gone, I took an advantage of his wife. It's one thing committing adultery, but that, that is at a whole different level of adultery. And then she gets pregnant. And then to cover up the pregnancy, I have the guy murdered. David didn't have that kind of faith. And the Bible tells us that his bones were waxing old. In the nine months while Bathsheba was pregnant, he was just wasting away, dying physically. He was just, I can't come to God. I, I just got to shut God out of my mind because when I think about God, it just hurts so much. When I think about God and what I did to him after blessing me, I have all these 12 wives. I could add 100,000 more wives if I wanted. I am the king. There's no end to my harem. But instead of doing the honorable thing and going and marrying another wife and having 13 or 14 wives, I took another man's wife and I just... I can't, I'm just so ashamed. I can't go to God. And so he tried to not think about it. He tried not to pray. He tried not to worship. He tried to isolate himself from God and his whole body began to shut down. And in that place, remember Nathan the prophet came and told him the story about the rich man taking the poor man's sheep and killing it and serving it rather than taking one of his multitude of sheep. And David says, go get that man and put him to death. The law said... The rich guy needed to give the poor guy four sheep in its place. That was it. That was the whole justice of the law. But David gave that guy the death penalty. And Nathan said, you're the man. And in the same verse, David said, I've sinned. And then in the same verse, Nathan says, you're also forgiven. The whole time. When David was depressed and his bones were waxing like water within him and he's soaking his couch with tears and the whole time God was there to forgive him but he didn't have the faith that God would even forgive that. You see, here, here is the only sin God can't forgive and that is you not believing <laughs> that he can forgive you? Are you somehow believing that you've done so many sins or such a category of sins or such a huge sin that God's grace had leveled out at some point and where your sin abounded, grace didn't abound that much. And therefore, you're not forgiven because you don't have the faith to believe in a greater grace. You see, it's true. Where sin abounds, God's grace abounds more. And we need to be strong in the grace of God. 
We need to come boldly into that throne of grace, as it says in Hebrews 4, to get mercy and grace to help us when in our time of need, in our time of denying the Lord, in our time of betraying the Lord, in our time of being in the worst valley we're ever going to be in our lifetime. What did David learn later? Even if I were to make my bed in hell, what does David say in Psalms 139? Even there, your hand would be there to guide me. David was in hell. And God's hand spoke through his good friend, Nathan the prophet, and brought him out of that hell. And then what does he write in Psalms 23? Surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It was not I'm worthy of it. It's not God owes it to me. It's just that's the God of all grace. After we've struggled a while, may he strengthen and establish and settle us. To him be glory and honor forever and ever. There in Hebrews 4, it says Jesus was tempted in what? All things, in all ways. Let's just think about that a minute. Because I think even though he didn't sin, we forget that he was tempted in every possible wicked sin. We just covered a bunch of them last week where he said murders of parents, where he said whoremongers and sodomites, various descriptions of homosexuals. He said murderers and kidnappers. He gives this list. And then we got to stop and say Jesus was tempted in all points of temptation a man can be tempted in. Yes, your temptation. As vile as it is, the Lord was also in human flesh and he felt the surges of every kind of despicable, wicked, evil thing that man can think and feel and and be pushed and pressured in his body, leading him to do. Jesus went through every one. Yes, yours, all of yours, not part of yours. Well, I can see Jesus being tempted on being angry, but there's this other thing I can't even tell myself about. I don't want anybody to know. And no, there's no way Jesus could have ever experienced that kind of temptation. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it, that's, that's why it's so amazing that God came into human flesh. That he could be what? Our sympathizer. He could say, I know what you are going through. And my grace is here. Come to the throne of grace. Splash in the sea of grace. <laughs> Well, when do you need it the most? In your greatest time of need. That's what it's here for. The righteous man falls seven times and what? Gets up seven times. He's still called the righteous man even though he falls seven times. I don't get that. Think after the fifth time, they could call him the righteous man. The guy that used to be a righteous man when he was falling the fourth time. But seven times, we quit calling him a righteous man. Why is he a righteous man? Because he gets up seven times. Peter got up. Judas didn't. Judas didn't have faith in the grace. God is good, but not that good. God is forgiving, but not that forgiving. God is loving, but not that loving. There's no hope. I'm just going to go kill myself. There's always hope. Because whatever our sin is, his grace does abound more. Do I get an amen for that? Lord, thank you for your word today. And we know that you've washed us all in the water of your word for a reason. You brought us to this passage, Lord, to compare Peter and Judas for a reason. And we know there was only one Judas, but there are several of us where we have been in this same place. Simon, Simon, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. We've been there, Lord. We might be there right now. We are depressed and we think about you, God, because we're so guilty-filling. We're so dirty. Like the prodigal, times a million were the prodigal. And we just feel so undeserving, but we know that's our flesh condemning us. That's Satan condemning us. We know there's no condemnation in you.
that if we fall seven times or 70 times, seven daily, you're going to forgive us. You've told us to forgive our fellow man that much. How much more you who forgive in a way that is higher than the heavens are above the earth. If you're here right now and you just need a fresh start, you need a new beginning. You need to be that Peter on the other side of felling the Lord. Right now, God will cleanse you and wash you, make you as white as snow by his grace. He's already done the work on the cross. Every one of your sins were paid for. You just need to now by faith receive that forgiveness. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me, wash me, heal me. If you're here today and, and you know that the Lord's drawing you, but you've been limping, coming back to him, just say, Lord, I come back fully. Spirit, soul, and body. Now just each morning, just cry out to him, whether it's out loud or in your heart. Just cry out, say, God, here I am. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And I know it seems silly, but I can't even make a step out of my bed without you. I'm that weak. Lord, I need you. If you're listening today on a various social media platforms or maybe on the radio, right now, this is the Lord calling you. It's okay. Just like Peter, I knew your sin before you committed it. Just like Peter, I knew Satan was trying to take you down this time for good. But I prayed for you. My spirit is in the world. My spirit that lives in you is groaning, bringing you back to, it's by faith now, trust me. Yes, I can forgive that much and a million times more. Yes, I have that much grace and a million times more. Yes, my mercy and a million times more. You've not committed the unpardonable sin. You've not been so weak that my strength is not made perfect in it. By faith now receive all the blessings. By faith now receive the peace of God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen and amen.